Guys, my new book, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital, just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. It's ranking extremely high on Kindle and Audible, and I want to thank you guys for grabbing it. If you haven't bought it yet, here's what James Y. said in an Amazon review on March 8th. He said, literally, a step-by-step blueprint for conquering the world and building your own empire. Five stars. It's a verified purchase. He goes on to say, if you like doing things the hard way, don't read this book. For everyone else who appreciates someone showing you what to do and why it works step-by-step so you can rinse and repeat and accomplish the same results, read this book now in all caps. He then says, pro tip, stock up on highlighters while you're adding this to your Amazon cart, you'll be using them. This book should be required reading for every entrepreneur, startup or founder, business person, and human. Seriously, Nathan is not a kind of class that cuts through all the bull crap, he used a different word, to show you what you need to do and how to do it. If success came with an instruction manual, this book would be it. We'll be stocking up and handing these out as Christmas gifts to all my friends and colleagues. If I could give this book a six-star review, I would. From James, James, thank you. All you that listen to the podcast, thank you so much. SaaS founders are loving the book. Go grab an audible version right now at capitalistbook.com. Founded SalesSeek back in 2012 after a lot of experience at very successful companies. Today, they have about 20 people based between the UK and other remote locations. They've got about 150 logos paying them, uh, really striving hard to break that million dollar in ARR mark, reach profitability, and uh, then uh, get to the point where they can choose whatever they want to do in terms of their destiny, raise capital, keep growing profitably, etc. They've got over 100% net revenue retention annually to date. He's willing to spend up to nine months of, uh, of user uh, kind of revenue on acquiring that same customer landing seat sizes now in the 80 to 100 kind of team size range as they look to scale this is the top entrepreneurs podcast where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn each episode features revenue numbers customer counts and other insider information that creates business news headlines we went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million i had no money when i started the company it was 160 million dollars which is the size of many ipos we're bootstrapped we have like 22,000 customers with over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest-growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Tim Hampson. His background in software has spanned technical sales, marketing, and general management in the US, UK, and Japan. Tim started at IBM and went on to a number of successful startups, including Illustra, Interwoven and Board Vantage. Other experience includes Sybase, Sockcom, and Genesis Telecommunications. Tim, are you ready to take us to the top? I am indeed, all the way through the bottom. So there we go. Good. So any of these, those companies I just mentioned, all those you were a part of, or were you CEO or founder of one of these guys? So I was um, uh, very much uh, uh, founder of uh, Sakam and currently Sellseek. Yep. And uh, at Board Vantage, I was part of the uh, the first sort of uh, management team that was brought in with the first institutional uh, funding uh, there. And then uh, the other sort of startups, I was um, essentially an early employee of those. Well, then you've seen it. You've been watching and you said, OK, I'm going to jump in and do sales seek now. So tell us what the company does and how you make money. Well, very simple terms. We're a, a combined CRM and a marketing automation tool. So if you think of tools like Salesforce and tools like uh, Eloqua, we kind of like both together. Um, but we sort of optimize for maybe uh, small, smaller to medium-sized uh, companies, perhaps more so 
than those uh, those tools are. So the reason we, way we make money is like many SaaS vendors, uh, it's a SaaS subscription model. So we're fully in the cloud, uh, very easy sort of per user uh, per month uh, pricing. And uh, we've got customers all around the world, including uh, the US and um, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, uh, and of course, the UK as well, where we're based. And, and Tim, what is, I don't want to go down every customer cohort, but on average, what does a user pay for a seat for a month? So we do have a, a couple of bands. It, it, the, the, the very lowest level would be um, about $20. And uh, that would go up to, for the enterprise levels, up to sort of 80 to $100 uh, depending on the sort of the functionality that people were making. This is interesting. I want to call something out here because I'm, I'm seeing this pattern with a lot of these interviews I'm doing. Uh, there's a lot of people that, you know, a lot of people think, well, when you go enterprise, you're selling larger, uh, per seat or sorry, larger seat deals. So you're selling, you know, a thousand plans instead of the one-off user that's paying 20 bucks a month. Usually when you're selling, you know, a thousand seats, there's a discount on the $20 price. But what I'm hearing a lot of people doing or testing is actually they're adding on additional features and they're actually quadrupling the price point, even at volume. Uh, is that accurate? Is that what you guys are doing? Yeah, I think that's accurate. And, and you're right. It's, uh, it's not just us. It is actually a general theme. And I think the reality is that there's a lot of functionality um, that um, only enterprises use. And so, you know, it, it kind of doesn't make sense to, to bundle that in for smaller organizations. And indeed, if, if you were trying to do that and price for it, you'd be outcompeted by companies who basically didn't bother with that and just focused on that, that low end. So I, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a function of the fact that enterprises do have more sophisticated requirements that, yeah, they, they, they do have to pay more for it. Put this on a timeline for us. When did you launch? Uh, we launched, we, we started very, very uh, late in 2012, and we spent the first sort of two or three years pretty much heads down in product development, and it's really been the last couple of years that we've been uh, sort of in, in, in sales mode. So, so Tim, talk to me. Three years in product development, you have to cover salaries somehow. How did you cover costs? Did you raise immediately? Uh, we we self-funded for a lot of that. We were got ourselves to be, uh, as I say, sort of ramen profitable. Um, and we also did. But, wait, uh, but how did you do that? Sorry, Tim. If you were heads down building for three years, there were three years there where you had no money, right, coming in. So we self-funded. So the founders themselves, we basically kicked in um, our own uh, sort of money and uh, were able to survive and sort of essentially non-existent salaries ourselves. Um, and then after a few years, once we actually got the product uh, launched and started to get the first few customers, we did take our first institutional funding from a, a UK VC uh, called Sussex Place Ventures. Okay. And how much total capital have you raised to date? Total capital has been about uh, uh, just under, I think, four and a half, four and a half, five million. Okay. And why not? It sounds like, I mean, you guys had some success self-funding for three years. Um, why not just keep self-funding? Why give in and say, okay, we're going to do institutional now after three years? Well, it's, um, it, I mean, it's, it's a good question to ask because the, the answer is, is not always um, definitively one way uh, for anybody uh, and certainly not when you look at different organizations. So, so for us, we took the view that, you know, if we have this access to capital, it means we can accelerate um, scaling out and scaling up uh, in a way that we couldn't do without that. So, you know, the good thing about self-funding is that um, you kind of keep control you reduce the uh, the amount of activity you need to do in fundraising. Uh, the disadvantage is that you you probably are going to be growing at a slower rate because you just don't have access to the volumes of capital that you might do do otherwise. So it's kind of a trade off. And and to say I don't think there's a right answer. Uh, I think it very much depends on both the company 
and the founders and what they want to do and, and everything else. And, and walk me through kind of where you've gone over the past, you call it six years, right? So how many customers have you scaled to now today? So we've now got about uh, about 150 uh, customers. Uh, our largest customers are uh, over 100 uh, users. And I think one of the biggest differences has been um, not so much expanding the number of customers, but how we've expanded the size of our customers. So when we started out sort of three years ago, most of our customers were sort of, you know, ones and twos. Then that moved to sort of fives and fives to tens. Uh, and now we're sort of at the sort of 100, uh, 100 plus user uh, mark there. So for so us, is that, that an average, Tim? Sorry. So of the 150 logos you have, you have about an average of about 100 seats per team? No, it'd be, it'd be less than that now, but, but that's like the historical sort of average. But sort of moving forward, we are looking more like it's sort of like 100 uh, users there. And um, I think the, the, the advantage for us as a vendor is that the, uh, the cost of sale is, is, is essentially the same. And in fact, you could argue it's even less, perhaps. What is, the larger what, can you actually quantify that for us? What is the cost of sale today? Um, uh, it, I mean, it depends on how much you put in there. Obviously, you've got lead acquisition costs, um, sales costs. Um, but what I would say is that um, we, we can basically typically close a deal in, in maybe somewhere between four, four to eight um, sort of calls. And and majority of those calls are, are through the web, which means they're very, very uh, productive. Uh, for clients who are locally based, we often sort of see people in person. We like to do that. But, you know, as I said, we've got clients all around the world. And so for those, it, it is all through through remote process. So um, it's just a question going through things like Skype, WebEx, et cetera. Yeah. Well, let's say you're pursuing, you know, a, a, a customer right now that you know is going to be worth 80 seats for you on day one. And let's assume your minimum at 20 bucks a pop, right? So that's going to be a $1,600 a month kind of customer. Let's just use that customer as an example. How much as a CEO would you be willing to pay for that? Six months of revenue, twelve months of revenue. What's your upfront CAC on that on that kind of account? Uh, I would say something like about nine months okay. uh, of revenue, and uh, you know you can look at the lifetime value of a customer as, as being you know maybe something like three years on average or something like that. How do you get um, to that? Uh, how do you mean? How do you get? To that? How do you, how did you calculate lifetime value of three years? Um, well, it's just on the, um, it's, it's hard when you're starting out. And of course, you know, uh, after you've been selling for a year, no one's had a lifetime value of more than one year, but, but generally speaking, uh, that, that seems to be tending to what, uh, our, our lifetime value is. Although having said that, I mean, you know, we've been selling for just over three years. So, it, you know, uh, it, well, do you, it I mean, do you take your churn, do you do one divided by your churn, your logo churn rate typically to, to get that 36 month? Yeah, I mean, the other thing about churn is that, uh, and again, I think this is true of a lot of vendors, is that our churn is is very much dependent on user size. And so um, amongst, you know, we, we, we even get some sort of singleton users. Um, their, their churn rate is very high. So, you know, often if you looked at them, they'd be more like um, sort of nine months or 12 months as a sort sure. of typical life value. Um, whereas larger companies are you know, predominantly longer than that. So to some degree, we can't necessarily measure the lifetime value of our largest customers because we've, we've not had any churn yet. So, yeah. Talk to me in terms of, you know, when there's customer cohorts that pay vastly different prices, a good way to measure health of a company is instead of talking about logo churn is to talk about actual revenue churn. So yeah. when you look at your revenue churn over the past 12 months, what has that been? Oh, that's actually, well, I, again, for the reasons I, I outlined just previously, that, that's been, uh, you know, relatively low. 
and um, it's been disguised by growth. So, so the other dynamic is that you uh, you find that the you know you get an eighty user customer. Um, they quite often will increase to you know 90, 95 users in the course of a year, which which means if you have you know another ten single users drop off, you still net up. Yeah. So how how that's what I'm asking though is are you it sounds like you're over 100 percent net revenue retention annually. How far above 100 percent? Uh, uh, not much. I mean, we're about we're about 100. percent Okay, so. about 100. percent So I mean, so that's pretty good. So I mean, I imagine it sounds like the pattern you're probably seeing are you have really high churn in kind of these single use cases. However, your expansion, you know, logo going from 50 seats to 100 seats covers 50 lost single seats from other users. Right. So so that's what's allowing you to keep net revenue retention at about 100. percent Exactly. Yeah. And and again, for us strategically, the focus is is very much on on getting to larger organisations and larger customers because that's where we see our growth coming. And yeah, just the economics of it are just much easier for the, for the vendor to support yeah. those. What do you know you have to do? Let's say you get a single sign up user and you see their the email that signed up is at uber dot com. So you know there's opportunity for an enterprise account there, a land and expand approach. What do you know you have to get that one Uber employee to do in the first week they're using you to in- drastically increase the likelihood that you're able to expand that? I think the uh, the, the very first thing is to get data in there. Um, and that, uh, for a CRM, typically revolves around contact data. So we always try and uh, you know make uh, contact with people who sign up, et cetera, and make sure they're able to go through that process. And we also put a lot of effort into making that process as simple as possible. Because I think as soon as you've got your own data in the system, you can immediately start to see value because of our integrations with LinkedIn and also in the UK with Companies House. Um, but if, if you're just relying on a sort of an empty, bare-bones skeleton, it, no matter how good the app looks, if there's no data there, there's, there's nothing to look at. Yep. Yep. Interesting. And tell me more about the team size today. What are you guys at? Uh, right now, about 20, 20 staff. And we're uh, um, sales and marketing based very much uh, in the UK. Uh, we do have support staff around the world. And we also have, uh, I guess, our developers are sort of spread spread throughout Europe. Okay. So 20 folks. And just out of curiosity, so how many of those are dedicated to uh, either marketing, onboarding, or retention? Um, for those categories, we'd have sort of five people. Okay. Well, enough, four people, we'd say. Okay. Pretty, pretty good. And then walk me through, you know, you said you raised capital to really to drive additional growth. What are you growing at now year over year? Uh, we've, well, last year, we've, last two years, we've managed to uh, double. Um, this year, we're not quite doubling, uh, but uh, we're hoping to, to, you know, to get close to, to, to that. So we're still uh, at that sort of early stage where we're able to put in some pretty high growth rates. Mm-hmm. And, Again, the main, yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, the main, main thing for us is, is that the market, as you can appreciate, CRM is just so huge. There's, there's an awful lot of space for, for many vendors. Uh, as long as you can provide some sort of com, you know, competitive niche uh, in there, you can uh, carve out for yourself. Yeah. What's your, you know, we're a couple of months away from the end of, I can't believe I'm saying this, but from the end of 2018, uh, what's, the, what's your big revenue goal for the end of 2018? What run rate do you, would you like to hit as a stretch goal? Um, as a stretch goal, what we what we'd like to be doing is to uh, we don't really classify it in terms of revenue, but we'd, we'd like to be getting close to break even. Okay. Uh, and the reason for that is then that just gives us an awful lot more options uh, in terms of you know taking more capital on or not, as the case may be. Um, but uh, you know we're we're a little bit old fashioned in that we do think that you, you you do fairly soon need to look at profitability. How far away are you? 
Um, well, I say, you know, the, our, our stretch goal would be to try and get there by the end of this year. Uh, I think more realistically, uh, at some stage uh, during 2019. I mean, specifically, Tim, I mean, today, are you burning like 100K a month or 50K a month or 10K a month? How close are you to that profitability mark? It- you know, it's, a lot, a lot of, it's, in, it's in the tens. Okay. Uh, okay. And the, the, um, the, the reason why it's a little bit of a moving target is because um, uh, let, let's imagine we you know, did really well and we did get to profitable by the end of this year. We wouldn't want to stop there. Yep. We'd actually probably instead want to take more capital and burn more to actually grow more. So, it, again, it's just one of these things where, you know, uh, profitability is good, but at the same time, it's not actually necessarily the, the be-all and end-all because you do need to factor in growth. Sure. And give me a sense of generally where you're at today in terms of ARR run rate. Uh, that's not something we disclose because we're still in the, you know, statistics of small numbers in there. Uh, but we, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to, uh, as I say, we were looking at on a profitability basis to, uh, to make that match up on the, on the, so it's on a monthly basis. We can back into some minimums just based off numbers you did confirm earlier. So $20 minimum price point, you said 150 logos and you said less than a hundred, uh, you know, seats per logo on average. So if we assume call it 80 seats per 150 logos, that's 12,000 seats at your minimum $20 price point would put you at about 240 grand a month in revenue. Are you guys north of that at this point? Uh, again, that's not something we, we want to sort of disclose because that's what we want to keep uh, uh, sort well, of private. Sorry, Tim, just to be clear, I'm just multiplying your minimum numbers. So are one of those, are one of the numbers you, are one of the numbers you gave me wrong? No, but those, um, you know, it, on that, on that mathematics, yeah, that would be correct. Okay. But I'm, what I'm saying is I'm taking your minimums and multiplying. So Sure. So are one is the 150 logos and 80 seats per account at a minimum $20 price point? Are any of those numbers wrong? No, they're all right. Okay, great. Well, then, I mean, if that's the case, then um, brag a little bit. How You know, let me brag for you. You're doing north of 240 grand a month and in revenue. You have to be. That's how well, math, I, that's, that's how math I, works, right, Tim? That's how math works. If you, <laughs> if you assume all those, the, the, the average is, is, is 80. I said the average 80 is, is what we're doing right now. Okay, That's so historically, it's lower. Average, yeah. Got it. Um, Got it. But, but let's say, I mean, I, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a pain in the ass when vendors are always so uh, uh, circumspect uh, about this. Um, well, but- no, I think it's fair, by the way, there's reasons to there's reasons to share and there's reasons not to share. Um, I think a lot of people, for whatever reason, are self-conscious about small what they perceive as smaller numbers. But I think people forget often the most viable lessons are going from zero to a million bucks in ARR and everyone has to start at zero. So my job is to get people to talk about it. Um, you know, wh- wh- I mean, so I mean, when do you think I mean, do you, uh, the lessons you've given us today? Are these great for companies going from call it zero to a million in ARR? Or are you kind of yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I, think, I think absolutely that that's the zone we're in there. And um, will you break yeah. that though by the end of the year? Do you think? Do you get will you get past a million in ARR? You know, um, stretch goal. We'll, 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 yeah, always a stretch goal. All right, very good. I mean, do you think you have to break that before you go do your next round of funding? Um, I think I think funding is uh, a function of growth. As it were, so it, it's it's more about um, how how is your what's your trajectory looking like? So it's not so much the absolute value is you know have you actually grown uh, you know fifteen percent month on month for the past six months? You know if you can show a sort of consistent growth, then then that that's the trigger for, for funding more than because if you're even if you're doing say you know five million ARR, if that was only growing at a few percent or even declining, that, that would not be an attractive funding option. 
Yeah. I mean, but it sounds like, again, if you're sub sub a million in AR at this point and you're growing north of 100% year over year, right? So go back 12 months, maybe you're doing 30, 40 grand or something and you double today to call it, you know, you know, 70 or 80 grand that most people would say at those numbers, you really want to see like, you know, more than two, you know, 200, 300% year over year growth. I mean, how do you guys grow faster? Well, I, I, it's a good, good question. And that's obviously, um, you know, a major uh, focus for us right now. Uh, for us, we think the main, um, the main thing we need to do is, is, to, is to get heard. Um, one of the good things about CRM is it's a, it's a huge marketplace. One of the bad things about it is that, of course, it, it's, um, it is so huge, it's hard to make yourself heard. Not just um, huge, Tim, too. Like, I mean, HubSpot's basically commoditizing it with their free CRM. I mean, how do you compete with a free product? Well, when you talk to HubSpot users, you find out it's not entirely free. Um, and um, uh, I think um, from our point of view, uh, we do see HubSpot uh, as, a, as a significant uh, uh, competitor for us, but not, not because it's free, because like ourselves, it's actually a very good uh, integrated suite of marketing automation and CRM. So I think the way to look at HubSpot is not free CRM, but rather you know an integrated CRM and marketing automation tool that, that, that costs uh, X. Yep. Very good. Let's wrap up, Tim, with the famous five. Quick answers here. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, Crossing the Chasm, Jeffrey Moore. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, ooh, no, actually. Number three, what is your favorite online tool for building a business besides your own? Um, zero, the accounting package. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, at least uh, eight. And well, what's your... It varies. It's like, say, between six and eight. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And Tim, what's your situation? Married, single, kiddos? Uh, married with one kid. One kid. And how old are you? Uh, he's just coming up to 11. Sorry, you. Oh, me? I'm 54. 54. So say, you look great for... I mean... <laughs> all right. Take us home, Tim. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Uh, that is a good question. Um... I think, um, I mean, it's hard to net that down to just sort of one one thing. Um, I guess um, it would be, um, it's not about, uh, yeah, what I would say is it's not really about uh, your, your network in the sense of who you know. Um, I think it's more about your ability to network. So um, what I've often found is as I move from, uh, from different areas into uh, also in different companies is that it's not so much about existing or previous uh, contacts being useful. It's been more about being the ability to, to generate new contacts in this new context that was, that was valuable. Guys, there you have it. Networking and context really critical from Tim founded SalesSeek back in 2012 after a lot of experience at very successful companies. Today, they have about 20 people based between the UK and other remote locations. They've got about 150 logos paying them, uh, really striving hard to break that million dollar in AR mark, reach profitability, and uh, then uh, get to the point where they can choose whatever they want to do in terms of their destiny, raise capital, keep growing profitably, etc. They've got over 100% net revenue retention annually to date. He's willing to spend up to nine months of uh, of user uh, kind of revenue on acquiring that same customer. Landing seat sizes now in the 80 to 100 kind of team size range as they look to scale. Tim, thank you so much for taking us to the top. Thank you, Nathan.